Okay, so just a little bit about myself. My name is Vicky Guntanam. I'm from Thailand. I came here to study at RTS. It just graduated this past May with a counseling degree. So after this, I'm getting married in October to another fellow student from RTS. He's going to take a pastoral position in Chile. Wow. So I'm moving to Chile without knowing Spanish. <laughs> so <laughs> be praying for us. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about God's eternal character. God's eternal character is something really abstract, like time. Like, you know when you're talking about eternity, time, but then when someone asks you, what is eternity, what is time? Then you realize that, oh, I don't know what it is. So, but I will try my best to um, help us grasp and reflect on this wonderful character of God together. So, God's eternity, it is an implication of God's absoluteness and infinity in respect to time. So, when we use the term eternity, we use it in two, um, two senses. So, first, as something that is never-ending. So, eternity in this sense is often used of the human soul. It has no end, has a beginning, and has a succession of moments. So, sometimes it's technically referred to as everlasting. So, when we talk about everlasting life, this is eternity in this sense. So the second sense is that it is timeless. So this sense of eternity is different from the first one in that it has no beginning. So we use this to talk about God's eternal character. So God's eternity is not time that is extending infinitely in both directions, but it's not bound or determined by time. So God He's eternal in the sense that he does not exist during only one period of duration, more than one another. Since God exists outside of time, he experiences no duration, all things are present before him. So this is a series of God's incommunicable attributes, right? So eternity is one of those attributes. So is this important to realize that this is only essential for God. We do not share in his eternity in this sense. We have to keep in mind when we reflect on this together that there's a creator and creature difference. We are different from God. So when we ponder on this issue or this um, topic, we have to realize that, that we cannot understand it fully. But nevertheless, we have scripture that helps us say something about it too. So, but just a little bit about God's incommunicable attributes. So these are the attributes that if we should take or to deny any of them, God would not be God. They are neither transferable to creatures and they cannot be mirrored in our humanness. So eternity is essential to God and it relates to God Godness. God's eternity is just what God is in all his being, his eternal. So what does this mean? It means that God's eternity is completely different kind. As you have seen in the two different ways I talk about the term eternity, we use the word eternity to speak about God's eternity and us in a very different way. So nevertheless, it's still important to remember that God is both transcendent and immanent. God's eternity does not stand abstract or transcendent above time, but is also present and immanent in every moment of time. As the absolute cause and sustainer of time, God knows and uses time. However, that does not make God temporal or subject to time. 
measure of number. The Dutch theologian Herman Bobbing writes this about God. As God remains eternal and inhabits eternity, but uses time with a view to manifest his eternal thoughts and, and perfections, he makes time subservient to eternity and thus prove himself to be the king of ages. How wonderful is that? So when we think about eternity, I want to talk about the three aspects of eternity. So scripture testifies to God's supremacy over time in a number of ways. But I want to take us to Psalm 90 and Psalm 102 to highlight three important marks of God's eternity. Can I have two volunteers, one to read Psalm 90, verses 1 to 3? Um, 1 to 3. Ah, sorry. 1 to 2. And the second one is Psalm 102, verses 24 through 28. Okay. Can I have another volunteer to do Psalm 102, verses 24 through 28? Thank you. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you informed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thank you. Psalm 102, verses 24 to 28, please. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. And then 28. Um, Psalm 102, verses 24 through 28. 102? Yeah. Yeah. Verses 24 through 28. Oh, 24. Sorry. Sorry. I was like, I heard 24. 24 through 28. Sorry. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Okay, thank you. So in these two psalms, we see something really amazing about God's eternal character. It's that although God is outside of time, Scripture uses the language of time to describe His eternity for us to understand His eternal character better. So there are three ways that we can understand eternity better. The first one is that eternity, God's eternity is without the beginning, that He is unbegotten and uncreated. So Pastor Tom, last time he spoke about God's self-assistant a little bit. So I'm not going to cover much on this, but I'm going to go through it briefly. So whenever the beginning of time is mentioned, God is already there. As in Psalm 90 verse 2 that um, you have read, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, God was already there. In Genesis 1 verse 1, it already talks about creation and assuming that God has already been there. So this means that because God is outside of time, He is God, He's the Creator. Um, second, God is eternal, which means that He has no end. God is incorruptible, imperishable, and immortal. 
So from Psalm 90 verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From the beginning to the very end, he is God. Before time begins, he has always been God. And he will never stop being our God. So I want to focus on two aspects of this, like that God has no end, that God is imperishable and he is immortal. So first, God is imperishable. From Psalm 102, I'm sorry, 102, verses 26 through 27, it says that even when we perish, human being, when we perish, God will remain. That we will all wear out like a garment. With God, we will always be the same. He has no end. So unlike us, who are like our bodies fail and waste away with time, we lose memories. I'm only in my 20s and my knees hurt, so like, <laughs> this is not last. And, but God, God is not like us. He's very different. He's not subject to death because of natural forces. And then second, God is immortal. So this aspect of immortality talks about death that comes as a result of sin. So in Genesis 3:17, when Adam sinned, he faced the curse of death. So that is an end that is due to our sin. So, and thus we face physical death because we are sinners. And um, so what are the implications of this? This means that God cannot do anything that will undermine his own integrity. He will never be diminished or he will never disappear. And I want to highlight this aspect in um, Genesis 17. I'm just going to talk briefly. You don't have to turn there. So in Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham. So in the ancient Near Eastern culture, when two parties come into a covenant, you would cut animals into two pieces. And you would lay on the ground for both parties to walk past them, right? So which means that when they do that, it means that when one party becomes unfaithful to the covenant, this is a sign that the unfaithful party will be like those animals. But in Genesis 17, God was the only party who passes through those animal pieces, which means that even when Abraham fails, he will take on the penalty. But because he is God, he's eternal. He has no end. It means that he will keep his promises to Abraham and it will not fail. So lastly, God is without succession of moments. He is immutable. He does not change. Um, we will read two passages. Um, can have someone to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and another person to read Hebrews 13, verse 8, please. Israel, and he is the same God who is with us today. His love for you remained the same when you sinned the first time, when you sinned a thousand times, because he sent his son to die on the cross for us. 
And that is just amazing, right? Because we change, but he doesn't. So um, before we move on, I want to end this section with an analogy. Because God's eternity is diff- it's of a different kind. So any analogies that we come up with are going to be imperfect, like when you talk about Trinity. But I found this one to be very helpful. It's by Erman Bobbing again. So he writes, A true analogy of eternity is not the contentless existence of a person for whom, as a result of idleness or boredom, grief or fear, the minutes seem like hours and the days do not go but creep. The analogy lies rather in the abundant and exuberant life of the cheerful laborer, for whom time barely exists and days fly by. So we can think of eternity like this. It's not like that we have, many of you have children, have a really messy house or any, like something like that. And it's for like when you clean up, it's just never ending. And then the students wake up and then like they make a mess again. And, but that's like, it's not like that. God's eternity is not like that. It's like many of you enjoy in the summer, you go out gardening and you work on your flowers. And when you realize that, oh, the day has gone by, but it's all of this enjoyfulness that God has in eternity. So why does all of this matter? How does studying and meditating on God's eternal character affect our daily life? So I want to give you all three applications. So studying God's eternity is for um, first, exhortation, second, information, and third, for your comfort. So first, it is for our exhortation against sin, in the sense that it helps us realize the magnitude of our sin. A Puritan Stephen Charnock writes this about our idolatry. It says, he that loves a perishing thing with the same affection, he should love an everlasting God, despises his eternity. This happens when we lust after idols when we exchange something so small, so perishable for an eternal God. And also it helps us see that because God does not change, his moral standards do not change. They do not change from culture to culture, but are clearly revealed in scripture, which stands forever. And scripture as God's word is relevant to all people at all times and places. So, as I said before, I'm from Thailand. Um, Thailand is a Buddhist country. I grew up in a Buddhist home. And when I came to college in America, I went to Virginia Tech. So Christianity to me has always felt like, oh, it's an American religion. I'm Asian. We don't do that. <laughs> and, but in, for, in his amazing grace, he convicts me of my sin. And he brought someone to invite me to a Bible study. And we learned scripture together. And it was through his word that we studied, it was through the word preached, that he convicted me of my sin. This word applies to all cultures of all time. And it's amazing that here in this room, we have ladies of different ages, and we are all together because we are united in Christ. And we have his everlasting word that gives us comfort and direction for life. So and in my counseling too, I have different ladies, different countries and it's amazing that we can use this uh, direction so it's God's eternal character has this implication in our life and this also means that because he is he is eternal our sin our 
transgress and against him has eternal consequences. It means that the wicked will face judgment eternally. So the pleasure of sin is only for a season. And let this be our exhortation that we don't want to let ourselves to enjoy something that will not last, but to God who is eternal. Okay, the second implication is that it gives us information about Christ. So God is eternal. And in, for, um, in Colossians 1 verse 17, this is says about Christ. And Christ, well, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This means that because God is eternal, and now this is a description of Christ, this means that Christ is also God. The eternal God entered time without changing in his essence. Because of that, we have a relationship with him. And however, he is not bound by any limitations like us. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. And God's eternity is manifested in Jesus who gave himself to die on the cross for sinners. Because God um, is imperishable, death could not hold him. So after three days, he rose from the dead, and he ascended to heaven. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus were all events in history. And they only happened once. But because God is eternal, the significance of these events apply to all ages and times. Eternal life is given freely to believers both in the Old Testament and the New. Christ has entered into eternal life as the first fruit of the resurrection. Those who are in union with Christ also will be resurrected. And lastly, it gives us comfort as believers through um, mainly three things. First, the gospel. Second, the fact that God is unchanging. And third, eternal life that we will receive. So first, the gospel. As I I said before, because God is eternal, our sin against him, we deserve eternal judgment. And because of that, what hope do we have but to look to Jesus Christ, the eternal son, for eternal pardon of our sin? I love how theologian Douglas Kelly writes about this. So Dr. Kelly is an RTS professor. I never had him, but I, I've talked to him before. He's a really cool guy. Um, he said this, we looked to the eternal creator God in faith through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for eternal pardon of our sin, for structure and meaning in our lives lived in a fallen world, and for eternity of bliss in the new heavens and the new earth that his return will consummate. Because God is eternal, our sin against him deserves us eternal destruction. Therefore, we need an eternal son who gives us eternal pardon. Second, God is unchanging. Because God is eternal, his attributes are consent, sure, and steadfast. As we read in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 102, verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. We can rest in God's unchanging love and covenantal promises. The spiritual rebirth that we have all faced and experienced is not merely a short-term sample of divine favor. God has promised to bring his people into his kingdom and to dwell with them. He will not fail to save even one of his children. We may feel hopeless about our current situation, our sin struggle, but we may rest in God's unfailing 
character that everyone whom God calls, He will justify, and everyone who is justified, He will glorify. Lastly, um, God has promises eternal life. Eternity is an attribute that is unique to God. However, He shares this with us the gift of everlasting life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The godly, those who have the faith, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, will be rewarded forever. However, our eternity has a beginning, so it is a wholly different kind from what God has in His eternal character. The gift of eternal life that we have is not merely an extension of our early life, it is a new creation. It is a new transformation of our humanity into something wholly different. In the eschaton, we will receive an imperishable body. So my eyes, I'm actually wearing contact lenses now. There's, my eyes are so bad. If I take my contact lenses out, like I can't see any of your faces right now. They're all blurred. I'm really looking forward to the day that I will see Jesus face to face without having to wear glasses. How wonderful that would be. Right? And I'm sure that every one of you would have some kind of health issues and you have loved ones like you have health issues. And you're all looking forward to that day when you will have a glorified body. I had a tumor, I had a surgery before, and honestly it was such a bad experience and I'm like, if the tumor grew back, I'm not getting another surgery. But I think this is also pointless to how sweet it would be when Christ returns and we have everlasting life. Our body will no longer suffer to infirmities and we will no longer sin. How wonderful that would be. So, afflictions in the present world is only momentary, for there is an eternal weight of glory that is to come. And I love these verses so much from um, Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 to 18, it reads, so we, don't, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I really love this. So um, one of my counselors, she, she's a refugee from India. She was in Thailand at the time, and one of my friends from Thailand referred her to me. So she had to flee India because her dad, they were a Christian family, but um, they faced some um, persecution from the Muslims or the Hindus. And, but her dad, her father, took on a lot of debts and he couldn't pay. He took everything and he left the family, leaving the mother and um, the children with nothing. And as one of my counselors, she had to flee India because all of the people that her dad owed money, like they were coming to like threaten her death if they couldn't pay them back. So um, my counselor Anna fled to Thailand with her children, and um, she was crying, talking to me that I grew up in such a beautiful house, but I have nothing to offer to my children. What do I have? I want my children to have a good life. But as I talked to her, she's been telling me that she would wake up to pray and read scripture with her children every morning, even though life has been so difficult. 
So I assured her that, you know, you have given your children eternal inheritance that this world cannot give, but through the word and through the gospel of Christ. So a few weeks after that, she texted me to tell me that one of my daughters just got tumor in her brain. Mm-hmm. And she passed away in a few weeks after that. But what inheritance has she left to her daughter that now she's enjoying her communion with Christ? Um, I want to end this um, short lecture with this quote by Thomas Hudson. He writes this about eternal life that the saints shall bathe themselves in the rivers of divine pleasure, and these rivers can never be dried up. And this is something that we have in the summer, right? It's just want to cool And our eternal life is going to bring us refreshment like that. So let me end up um, in prayer, and then I have given some discussion questions for you to go through. All right, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, the eternal triune God, who only deserves our praise and worship. We confess that God the Father is eternal, God the Son is eternal, and God the Spirit is eternal. You are God without beginning, without an end, and you are unchanging. You transcend above time, yet you have stooped down in time and history to deliver your people. You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning, to die for our sin once and for all, so that those who believe in him may not face eternal death, but but receive everlasting life. May our study of your eternal character keep us from sinning, lead us to worship, and make us amazed in the gospel, and encourage us as we wait for the time we will enjoy the eternal weight of glory and perfect communion with you forever. Amen. All right, thank you.